This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Today, the biggest player in America's economy made a move it hasn't made since the 2008 recession. The Federal Reserve lowered interest rates. It is intended to ensure against downside risks from weak global growth and trade policy uncertainty. For months, President Donald Trump has been pressuring the Fed publicly to lower interest rates. Donald Trump has been like a battering ram against the Fed for the past year. So, does today's interest rate cut have anything to do with President Trump's relentless pressure? And what are the dangers when politics collide with Fed policy? Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Wednesday, July 31st. President Trump's appointee to run the Fed, a former lawyer named Jerome Powell, took the job in 2018. At that time, the economy was growing, and officials at the Fed were worried about inflation. So they were slowly raising interest rates. And the president didn't like it. So he started his public condemnation of the Federal Reserve. His first comments on the Fed were really a year ago. Nick Timoros covers the Federal Reserve. In July of 2018, Trump goes on CNBC and he says he's not happy that the Fed's raising interest rates. I, I put a very good man in the Fed. I don't necessarily agree with it because he's raising interest rates. I'm not saying that I agree with it and I don't Real necessarily guy, agree too. with it. I yeah. must tell you, I don't. Yeah. Uh, I'm not thrilled. In September, Trump sounds off again. He's at the U.N. and he says... Unfortunately, they just raised interest rates a little bit because we are doing so well. I'm not happy about that because I know it's going to be a question. I am not happy about that. He gives interviews to the Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg or Reuters. And whenever he's asked about this, he says that he's not a fan of what the Fed is doing. No, I think the Fed is uh, making a mistake. They're so tight. I think the Fed has gone crazy. The Fed doesn't get it. The Fed has faulty thinking. The Fed is going loco, and there's no reason for them to do it, and I'm not happy about it. Those comments have caused headaches for the Federal Reserve and Powell, not just because it's highly unusual for a president to publicly criticize a Fed chair, but also because it raises questions about whether Powell can operate independently. And independence matters. When central banks don't run independently, which has happened in history, the results can be bad. Think about the current state of Venezuela or the most famous case, the Weimar Republic in 1920s Germany. Weimar Germany, right. Wheelbarrows full of Deutschmarks that couldn't buy you anything, right? It was better to burn the paper money because it was cheaper than having to pay for firewood. People were burning their cash money for heat. It wasn't worth much else. We haven't experienced such extremes in the U.S., but when political meddling has happened, it didn't end well either. In the 1970s, there was pressure put on the Fed by the Nixon administration to keep 
uh, interest rates low, and we had double-digit inflation. And it took Paul Volcker as Fed chair to raise interest rates to double-digit levels to put the economy into a recession twice in order to bring inflation down. And that's not an experience we would want to go through again. And so ever since then, and this isn't just in the United States, but around the world, central banks have guarded their independence uh, very jealously because there's a view that the Fed sometimes has to do the unpopular thing. There's a former Fed chair who said they take away the punch bowl from the party when the party is getting started. And they do that because they have to have a little bit more of a long run view about what's good for the economy than politicians who are always trying to win the next election. The lesson learned from the 1970s is to keep politics out of the Fed. And so since then, presidents have generally left the Fed alone. They sometimes have met with the Fed chairs, usually privately, but no president has so publicly taken issue with what the Fed chair is doing as President Trump has. And Trump has talked about turning this antagonism into action. There was this one moment in December. Right before Christmas, Trump is fuming to his advisors, can I replace Powell? And what's the answer? The answer is that it's not clear. The statute that creates the Fed says that Fed governors can only be removed for cause. And that's generally been interpreted by courts to mean you have to actually uh, done something wrong. It's lying. It's malfeasance. It's, it's actual derelict of your duty. His advisors tell him you can't fire him. Is there any evidence that previous presidents have sought to remove a Fed chair based on a policy difference? Uh, there's a, uh, some historical research that shows that President Johnson had asked his attorney general, who he was also unhappy about during the Vietnam War, he was concerned that uh, higher borrowing costs was going to make the, the war more expensive, lead to even higher deficits. He was very unhappy with the Fed chair. Johnson called him down to his ranch in Texas, drove him around the ranch at high speeds in his car. Later, there's a story that Johnson kind of pushed him up against the wall and put a finger in his face and said, my boys are dying in Vietnam and you aren't giving me the money that I need. I mean, that's an extraordinary scene, right? So he asked for an opinion on whether he could replace the Fed chair and the Justice Department told him that he could not. But since then, we've never really seen anything like this unfold. After Trump raised this possibility of firing Powell, Powell was put in the awkward position of having to talk about it. Maybe the most interesting episode that's happened recently is when Powell testified on Capitol Hill in the middle of July. The committee will come to order. He was asked point blank Chairman by the Powell, chair of the House Financial Services back. Committee, Maxine Waters. If you got a call from the president uh, today or tomorrow and he said, I'm firing you, pack up, it's time to go, what would you do? Well, of course, I would not do that. I can't hear you. <laughs> My answer would be no. And you would not pack up and you would not leave? No, ma'am. Uh, because you think the president doesn't have the authority? Is that why you would not leave? I have um, I've kind of said what, I, uh, what I've intended to say on the subject. Uh, and what I've said is that the law clearly gives me a four-year term and I fully intend to serve it. In the lead-up to today's cut, Powell and the Fed have faced even more public criticism from President Trump, more than at any point in the past. And the thing that's potentially stoking this criticism is that we are headed into an election year. And in the lead-up to any election, the economy takes center stage. 
this is important to the president's reelection to make sure that any sharp object that could hurt the economy next year is removed from the room. And this is not unusual. I mean, George Bush Sr. in 1991 was unhappy that the Fed was not cutting interest rates more because uh, he was worried about the 92 reelection. That has to be a concern for the White House. Now, it isn't an issue for the Fed, right? The Fed does not care about making sure the economy is in a good place for the purpose of an election, but they do care about making sure that they are meeting their mandate. Their mandate is stable prices and maximum employment. And so for them, you know, they may be giving Trump what he wants, not because he wants it, but despite that, uh, they may see that, you know, the economy actually does need stimulus right now, even though they say they do not respond to political concerns. Political interference. That's right. So Trump has been prodding the Fed for a year. It's hard to imagine that all of this criticism from Trump isn't having some effect on Powell. Well, Powell has told associates that the most important thing is for them to get the policy right, that they can do what Trump wants and it'll compromise their independence. They can do the opposite of what Trump wants and they can burnish their independence, but potentially risking a recession in the process, or they can just do what they think is right, knowing that sometimes it may look like they're uh, caving to Trump, which could be the case after the interest rate cut this week. Uh, other times it could look like they're thumbing their nose at him. It's going to go either way sometimes. Okay. And so the Fed has decided that given the way the economy looks, the way the global economy looks, that an interest rate cut was needed. And they did that today. What does that rate cut mean for the economy? The Fed is worried about the global outlook. If the rest of the world is weakening, then we are going to feel that here eventually. Sometimes the Fed cuts rates because the economy looks like it's going into a recession. But sometimes the Fed cuts rates because they want to take out an insurance policy against things getting worse. And this is one of those times. By and large, the question now is, where does the Fed go from here? They're saying the economy looks okay, the labor market is in good shape, but manufacturing is slowing down all over the world, and that could lead to a pullback in business activity here, it could lead to a slowdown in the stock market. And so they're, they're taking out an insurance policy to make sure that things don't get even worse from here. And so what are the risks to doing this rate cut now? One is just that the Fed does not have a lot of room to cut interest rates. What that really means is that there just is less room for the Fed to stimulate the economy in the way that it has in the past by cutting interest rates. And so, you know, one analyst said, well, you're burning up ammunition that you're really going to need in an actual downturn. It's a balancing act. You know you don't have much of this stuff. So one option is just save it all until you really need it. But the other option, which is where the Fed seems headed right now, is, no, don't save it all. Use some of it to try to really avoid getting to the place where you're going to need to spend it. Today's quarter point rate cut, which is the smallest amount the Fed changes rates by, may not be the last this year. The Fed signaled that there could be more cuts to come. And at a press conference today, Powell stressed that the rate move wasn't due to pressure from President Trump. After the break, why you shouldn't fight over $15 organic mangoes. 
This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Volvo Cars. Distractions happen, but there are things that can help you stay focused, like the fully electric seven-seater Volvo EX90. It was made to help keep you and those around you on the road safe with LiDAR technology that can see what you sometimes can't and a two-camera driver understanding system designed to prevent distractions and help you stay focused. Visit volvocars.com slash US to learn more. Welcome back. I'm Ryan Knudsen. Beret Lamb is the personal finance editor at The Wall Street Journal. And with a title like that, people are constantly going up to her and sharing their secret tips for good finances. We asked Beret to share some of her favorite stories with us. Here's one she got from one of her friends. This is a friend of mine who got married uh, much earlier than I did and had kids much earlier than I did. So she's kind of a wise voice in one of my friend circles. After she got married, she realized they were spending a lot of time talking about their purchases and that it was not exactly productive. They needed to figure out how they're going to spend money together and how they're going to spend money separately. So she started doing a system where anything under a certain amount, it's just off the table for arguing. So whether it's $20 or $50 or $200, you build this into your budget as something that is sort of discretionary, but you just don't argue about it. I think it greatly reduced the time that she spent arguing with her partner. It made things simpler. And I think we're always looking for good, simple solution when it comes to personal finance. Beret liked this tip so much that she started doing it. And she's found it really helpful, especially after she and her husband had a baby and didn't want to spend their precious free time arguing over small purchases. There are items that matter to my partner that don't matter to me. His favorite snack is $15 dried organic mangoes, and I don't understand why he spends so much money on this item. But at the end of the day, I decided to not fight it. I decided that this can be his thing that he does that's under the threshold we're going to argue about. When I first got married, we spent a lot of time talking about money, talking about how to approach money, talking about how to save money, and this gave us rules that we could follow. That's all for today. We're back on Friday. Thanks for listening.